You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. We're going to get straight into the Word this morning. We're going to the Gospels, and uh, I'm going to read a passage that we're going to be hanging around for the next eight weeks as we look at uh, the Beatitudes. So if you've got your Bibles, please open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through to 12. Uh, You can follow along in our notes, or if you've still got one of those paper Bibles, they work great. So open it up and uh, feel free to jot some notes along as you go. Let's read Matthew 5, 1 to 12. And seeing the multitudes, he, this is Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Come on, let's pray this morning as we look at the series, Blessed. Heavenly Father, we thank you that though the world might paint a picture of what it means to be blessed, Jesus, you clearly describe to us the blessed life. God, I pray our hearts would be in surrender and obedience to you as we open this passage together, as we explore uh, the examples of the, the Beatitudes right from the Old Testament through to the New that we would be a people that would desire more of you, that we would hunger for you, so that we would be people that would live a life that would bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, we start a series called Blessed. In popular culture today, we, we like the word blessed. You know, feeling blessed, hashtag blessed. You know, you get a new car, blessed. Relationship improves, your, your relationship level goes up, blessed. New house, blessed. Most of the time we declare blessing when there's an increase, right? When, when something's got better than it was yesterday. We find ourselves going, yes, I'm blessed. And depending on our, our security level or insecurity level, we either celebrate or we covet somebody else's blessedness, right? If we look at what somebody else has achieved or the great that's happening in their life, we go, yes, we're so happy for you. Or secretly we go, oh, I wish that was me. And so blessing in the world would say, get more. The more you've got, the more blessed you are. The, 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 the better you are, the better off you are, the better you are. Now, would it surprise you that Jesus might have had a slightly different take on what blessing is? <laughs> And so this, this series is all about us getting into the Word of God, understanding what Jesus said about what it means to be blessed. Because Jesus came, what, to give us life, life in all its fullness, a full life. But it's not in the way that we probably think or if we were to listen to what the world would say, it's not that. There's a depth of satisfaction in knowing that we are God's 
and that we belong to him. We are blessed because he himself is blessed. Each week as we study these attributes, we're going to see there's a, there's a contrasting value in the world that, the, that Jesus speaks about. The very thing that we covered in the world, Jesus says, would you lean into this space? Would you humble yourself? Would you go low? Rather than trying to climb that mountain of achievement, would you go low and serve and understand what it means to follow me? We'll see that for every person who would count the personal cost, for every blessing or every, every response of our heart, there is a blessing that Jesus promises to us. Almost as though each week we're going to stand at the fork in the road with an opportunity to go right or left. Will we walk towards the things of the world or will we choose to walk towards Jesus? What choice will we make each week as we come into this series? Because there's a, there's a big wide path, really easy to get on, really easy to walk, the Bible says, but then there's a narrow road. This one comes with a cost. But oh, the presence of, of Jesus himself, that is a reward we have when we live that blessed life. So let's get on the journey of discovering what it means to be blessed. How many people are blessed in this place? How many people feel blessed? Your life is blessed. That's probably the greatest show of hands I've ever had on a Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm really happy to hear that and see that. That's amazing. You are. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're truly blessed. You're, let's establish something right from the start. Jesus was in the business of happiness. He came to bring happiness, to bring life, to bring fullness of life. That's why Jesus came. The word blessed is the word makarios. Makarios is a deep inner happiness, a deep and genuine sense of blessedness, a bliss that the world just doesn't offer. It's a state of heart, it's a state of mind that regardless of our circumstances, our possessions, the deep joy of the Lord would sustain us. And it's a word similar to the word content in which Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Maybe you know Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. As a teenager, I used that when I was trying to finish the race, when I was trying to bench out that, that one RM. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but would it surprise you that that's not quite what that's talking about? Even though I quoted it and tried to. Let's go to verse 12. I know, this is Paul. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Come on, how many people have been in need before? How many people have found themselves with plenty, more than you need? Some people are like, oh, God, I'd like to test that theory, right? What, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, listen, of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's the promise. Understanding what a blessed life entailed was Jesus' priority as he sat down and he taught. What's interesting is that the text says Jesus sat down with his disciples to teach them. So this was actually a sermon, not necessarily to the crowd. It was actually a sermon to his disciples. This was the teaching of his disciples. This wasn't a, a message necessarily for the crowd, but it was, I'm going to teach you and let the crowd listen. 
So if you want to be a follower of Jesus, who these men had said, I will follow you. I will be your disciple. I will do what you do. Jesus says, this is what it means to be blessed. This is what it looks like. Now, what's interesting is this is the first time a lot of scholars would agree that this was the first sermon that Jesus preached. This was the first time that Jesus officially kind of preached to a crowd. Now, when you think about it, go back 400 years, the last time God spoke to the people of Israel in Malachi. What was the last thing that was said? I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. If not, I will bring a curse upon the land. The last part of Malachi was a curse. And the very first thing that Jesus teaches, he says, blessed. I'm going to undo that curse. I'm going to bring about a blessing for you and your people. Now, the opposite of makarios is a word O-U-A-I. Try pronouncing that one. Oi, or woe, which means to be cursed. And Jesus spoke of those who were blessed, but also throughout Scripture, you hear him say, woe. Woe or cursed is He spoke to the Pharisees, the the religious leaders of the day, saying, you think you're blessed because you're ticking all the boxes of the law. The law is good, but that's not getting you there. Woe to the hypocrites. Jesus challenged the, the thinking of the day. But Jesus is pronouncing you are blessed when you experience this kind of life. Blessed as a God has blessed himself When you think about the words in Scripture, blessed be the name of the Lord God Almighty. We we, we hear the word blessed. God is a blessed state in himself. He is blessedness personified. And we could experience and understand that kind of blessedness. So let's begin our our first attribute or our, our attitude today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You desire the kingdom of heaven. This is the first thing we must consider. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in Luke's telling of the sermon, he he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Now, when we think poor, we think financial, right? And so we could read that text and think that God says, blessed are the poor. They will inherit the kingdom. In other words, it's better to be poor because if you're poor, you're going to be more blessed. But if that was the case, then why would God tell us to give to the poor? Why would he tell the farmers to leave the edges of their field to be gleaned by those that didn't have enough? Why is it he, he said that you know, the true religion is taking care of the widows and the orphan? Why is it the early church, they sold their possessions and they gave to those who were in need? Being poor is not what it means to be blessed. Because on the other hand, you could have lots of money or not enough money. We could have the little bit that we have and we could store it and we could keep it and we could have it all for ourselves and and not give it away, not pour out, not not bless others. I've seen some very stingy poor people. I've seen some very generous rich people and vice versa. (laughs) It's about a spirit that says, what I have is already from God, and so I will pour myself out in the use of that that resource that God has given me. So it's not about a financial poverty. It's about a poverty of spirit. 
I want to look at the, the Old Testament connections each week as well because we see that Jesus would often speak into what has already been spoken. He was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. He would bring clarity and understanding and revelation of what they maybe had already known but now makes sense because of the sacrifice of Christ. And I want to read Isaiah 57, 15. It says, Our holy God lives forever in the highest heavens. And this is what he says. Though I live high above in the holy place, I am here to help those who are humble and depend only on me. The qualification for a relationship with Almighty God is a spirit that recognizes that it is poor, that it is bankrupt, that we have nothing. Maybe some of you, you're here today, and that was your experience. You tried it all. You'd given everything a go. Tried to find the pleasure in life through the things that you do and the things you chase. And, the, and, and all of these things, they, they, they gave you a momentary pleasure. And yet, there was a moment where you went, this isn't enough. This does not satisfy I'm poor. I might have all of this, but actually there's a poverty in my spirit and I've come to this place where I need God. Come on, how many, is that, how many people, that's your testimony? Give us a wave. If you came to that place where you said, God, I need you more than anything this world could offer. And Jesus says, you're blessed when you recognize there's nothing you can do to earn God's grace and favor. That's a place of blessedness. Friends, that should be encouraging because <laughs> I've got nothing. I don't know about you. I've got nothing that I can offer to God that would be righteous, but a humble heart. That's the best I can offer. And it's not going to surprise you, is it, that God says, that's the condition that I want of your heart. And then watch what I do when that heart, that humble spirit is on display for the world to see. In the Old Testament, we see the clash of two worldviews, and it's quite a fascinating story. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, when King Uzziah died, so this is Isaiah speaking, when King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. What we need to understand is King Uzziah, he was a, he was a good king. He was a successful king. He'd raised up an incredible army, a, a military force to be reckoned with. The, the, the temple was strong, the, the worship was strong. Everything about the kingdom was good under King Uzziah. But there was a moment when King Uzziah fell into a place of pride. Humility. What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the, the, the tension there? It's humility and pride, isn't it? So King Uzziah thought, I'll just go into the temple and I'll, I'll offer incense to the Lord. Now, some of us go, well, what's the problem with that? That was a role in the Old Testament that was reserved for the priests, not the king. So he, he goes in and he assumes the role of a priest and he says, I'll just offer incense to the Lord because I can do that. After all, it's me. Do, do, do we find ourselves in that place sometimes where we go, God, look at what I've done. Surely I, I demand, I, I, I expect, I have rights <laughs> for this good person I've become. And so King, King Uzziah is filling the temple with pride. And Isaiah makes this observation. He says, in the year King Uzziah died. In other words, when pride was filling the temple, when he died, Isaiah then saw the Lord. 
Let's read that together with that in mind. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another, said, Holy, 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 as we've sung this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, wow, that's pretty cool. Come on, we kind of this sensate. We like the sensation, don't we? We like to be entertained. It's, it's, a, it's a blight on our society that we, we want something more entertaining. Wow, that's cool. That was awesome, fantastic, amazing. Let's look at what Isaiah says. So I said, "Woe is me!" Remember, we've learned about woe, cursed, broken. I've got nothing, for I am undone. What does that mean? I am undone. <laughs> nothing. I got nothing. Where Uzziah had chosen pride, Isaiah chooses humility. Isaiah goes low. He says, I'm undone. I've got nothing I can offer God in this moment. And he carries on, he says, because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, the fall of Satan was due to pride. He saw the worship of the, the angels worshiping God. He thought, imagine if I could have that. What if I would put myself in that place high and lift it up? What, what if I could receive that praise and adoration and glory that God is giving and God says, I won't have any of that in heaven. I won't have any of that in my kingdom. It's reserved for those who are humble, who recognize they are poor in spirit. Friends, we can build a life of pride and ego. We can become so proud of our achievements, our job, our relationships, our kids, and, and, and all of this is good. It's amazing, but if that becomes what our identity is, if that becomes what we celebrate and not our relationship with God, then we've allowed pride to become a part of who we are. And our hearts, if our hearts are not humble before God, if we're not on our faces before God on a regular basis, thank God, I'm undone, woe is me. Then is it possible that we're giving pride a foothold in our lives as well? I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but it's not a one-time event. It's not a one-time event. Where I say, God, I humble myself before you. Glad that's over. <laughs> this is daily. This is every time, every time our, our spirit is grieved for something we've done. Humble ourselves again. Humble ourselves before God. Allow God's mercy to wash over us, to heal us, to bring hope. Don't wrestle with the guilt of that. See, I think so many of us, we wallow in this feeling of discontentness, if that's even a word it is now. There you go. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, we can find ourselves in that place going, I know I've got to give God everything, but I'm kind of enjoying holding on to this. And come on, we've, if anyone's walked through that journey, it's, it's painful. It's horrible. Because here's the reality, God always wins. 
he'll, he'll always bring us to that place where we say, God, I release it fully to you. I want to look at Isaiah's reaction because there's three aspects of this humble spirit or this broken spirit that we can see. I'm just going to quickly go through these. First thought is humility recognizes our sinful nature. Humility recognizes our sinful nature, this poverty of spirit. See, Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, experienced the holiness of God. And in the presence of a holy God, there are only two responses. The first is we stand and we say, God, look at what I've achieved. Look at, look at all of my accolades. We could do that. All the other responses, we go flat on our face and we say, God, woe is me, I am undone. I love this, Isaiah 66 too. There are those I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Do we tremble at his word? I'll be honest, I don't enough. Do I open the word of God and tremble? There's something shift in my spirit when I read his word. If it's not, then there's something in my spirit that's wrong. And this isn't a judgment. This is just an observation that we would say, God, I want to I tremble at your word. I want your word to be so alive in my life that it would change me every time I read it. That if I'm out of line, I would find myself back in alignment with your truth. Psalm 25, 14, it says, Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them he shares the secrets of his covenant. I wonder sometimes if we want the friendship with God before we want the fear of God. So I'm a friend of God, great songs to sing, but are we a friend of God because we recognize him as a holy God? When we recognize his holiness, the Bible says he draws us, he brings us when we recognize his holiness. The second thing we see if the team can come this morning this humility recognizes the sin around us. Isaiah was able to acknowledge that he dwelt among a people of unclean lips. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I, I dwell, I live amongst a group of people who are unclean. Now, now this isn't to say those people are horrible and, and deserving of punishment. No, it's the complete opposite. That if we would find ourselves amongst people whose, whose mouths do not glorify God, in fact, the very opposite. I was thinking about the other day, the words that we use to glorify our God, holy, that's used as blasphemy. Jesus, Christ, Lord, all of these wonderful titles that we would proclaim his name and worship are used as cast off, lazy blasphemous language that's the world we live in so we live among a people of unclean lips that's the truth that's the reality because I'm one of them right but there's a moment where we recognize that we can live a life that makes a difference in other people's lives you know, James 4 4 it says you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Let's not chase and desire the things of the world, but acknowledge that we must pursue God. Let this place of humility shake us out of our, our slumber. 
I think there's a slumbering that's taking place. It's quite common in all of us. We just allow the, enough of the world in. And it just gradually wears us down. We find ourselves just accepting, tolerating. And you look at all that's out there. We've gone, I can tolerate that. What used to disgust us or upset our spirit, we've become so used to consuming that we go, ah, oh, well, it's not much. But if we would find ourselves in that place that Isaiah says, woe is me. Yes, I'm a man of unclean lips. Dwell among a people of unclean lips. But then what happens is the third thing. Because up until this point, I'm going, it's pretty heavy, Mike. It is. Sin is very heavy. In fact, sin destroys everything. But here's the hope. Here's the grace. Here's the love of God who doesn't see us in our sin as a place that we will stay. Here's the third thing we see. Humility prepares our hearts to go. James 4, 6 to 10, this is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There's a promise if we would humble ourselves before him. When Isaiah hit the ground, he was in fear for his life. Holy nature of God brought this incredible conviction, but that's not where he stayed. Listen, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. From this place of I am undone to I am now healed, I am cleansed, and now let me go. This is what God does in our lives if we would let Him. When we've been forgiven a great debt, why wouldn't we go out and tell someone about it? When we, when we recognize the wretched state of our lives, would we not in that place then say, but God healed me, made me whole, and now i just got to tell you about it. That's what God does in our hearts when we have this broken spirit. Friends, the only way we deal with pride is to fall at the mercy of a loving God. Last week, what an incredible picture Amy Walker painted on the love of a father, the grace of a father. He said, the, the whole inheritance, it's all yours. You get it all, even though I know you'll probably squander it. But this is the father that waited and when the son returned, ran and embraced, put his clothes back on, accepted him back into the family, gave him all the rights that he threw away. He cleanses our lips. He cleanses our heart. Into which our response is, God, send me. Send me. Send me into my workplace. Send me into my streets. Send me into my school. Send me to whatever nation of the world you call me to because I will go wherever you need me to go because I will not stay silent 
of the goodness of God and what He's done in my life. I want to close with this a paraphrase of a statement, Charles Spurgeon, a general in the faith, an incredible preacher of the Word. This is what he said. Would the man who loves his Lord be willing to see Christ wearing a crown of thorns while he himself wears a crown of earthly kings? Would Jesus ascend to his throne by way of the cross, yet we expect to be carried there on the shoulders of an applauding crowd? We must count the cost. And if we are not able, then let us return to our homes, our businesses, our pleasure, and live it up. Only may we hear Christ whisper to us, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Friends, today the only way to access the kingdom of heaven is to have a poverty of spirit. And that comes from a humble heart that says, God, I need you. Now, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. I don't know whether you have bowed your knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Maybe you've had lots of questions about God and what does it mean to follow Him? What does it mean to be a Christian? The first step is recognizing that we are sinful people. You know what? Maybe, maybe we've been in church for quite some time. Maybe we haven't fully surrendered everything to God. Today, we want to take a moment. We're going to take communion in a moment. Hopefully, you've got that with you. If you don't, can you just raise your hand? And if you'd like it, and somebody's going to come by and make sure. Just keep it up until you receive one. Thanks, team. So I appreciate it. Cool. Just keep it up, and somebody will be there ready. For, they'll bring it to you. Amazing. We're going to take communion together because it's through communion that we see we see the power of God's grace that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't want to leave us in our sin, but He wanted us to have freedom and eternal life. And in a moment, I'm going I'm to pray a simple prayer. But it's a simple prayer that changes your life forever. And going from a place of self-sufficiency and living for myself rather than, you know, rather than myself, I now live for Christ alone. So right across this place, if you have yet to surrender your heart to God, give your life fully to Him. I want to give you that opportunity right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed, this is your moment with God. I'm going to pray a prayer, a simple prayer, asking God to forgive us of our sin, the thing that separates us from relationship with Him, and to receive His forgiveness, eternal life, hope for today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we recognize we are wretched. Our sin separates us from you. But thank you, God, for your great mercy that you would give your son Jesus your very best to die on the cross so that my sins would not count against me. I receive your gift of grace, the forgiveness of my sin and I say thank you I turn from my old way of living and today I surrender my right to live for myself I choose to live for you Holy Spirit would you lead and guide me in this new creation life in Jesus name thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit 
www.elamchristiancentre.org.nz.